0: The paladins, from Latin paladinus, meaning servant, government official, sometimes known as the Twelve peers, were the foremost warriors of Charlemagne's court, according to the literary cycle known as the Matter of France. They first appear in the early Chansons de geste, such as the Song of Roland, where they represent Christian valor against the Saracen hordes inside Europe. The paladins and their associated exploits are largely the later fictional inventions, with some basis in historical Frankish retainers of the 8th century and events such as the Battle of Roncevo Pass in 778 and the confrontation of the Frankish Empire with Umayyad Al-Andalus in the Marca Hispanica. Double bonus the rest of the way. Double bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way.
1: Well, welcome to another episode of the Double Bonus Podcast with your host, of Rocher. This is Tom Borstein. You were talking about the lovely Paladins in reference to the incredible week that the Furman Paladins had. Two weeks, really. They won at Loyola Chicago. They won at Villanova. They had another player in another game hit 15 three-pointers, which was the most. Uh, we've seen 15 pointers now twice this season. It was the most since 1996. So the Furman Paladins won on the road against two Final Four teams from last year, and people are like, what's a Paladin? And there you have it. Uh, Tom told us what a Paladin is. It involves Saracens and Franks and um, something or others. Um, The Paladins out of South Carolina, Furman, have a very good um, women's uh, cross-country team. Uh, Also, and and a similar exercise was was done about a year ago when the Furman women went to the NCAA finals in cross-country on the uh, venerable uh, podcast House of Run with uh, friends uh, Kevin Sully and Jason Halpin. Check that podcast out. There's some Furman talk last week in their NCAA cross-country preview. Um, Furman did not win. The winners were, I think, Colorado for the women and NAU for the men. But that's neither here nor there. We heard about college basketball and uh and Furman was one of the stories of the week the last week uh, villanova being on the negative part of that story uh, again double bonus podcast uh, follow us on twitter at double bonus pod our website is dot com. you can find us on itunes spotify stitcher google play um and podbean and whenever wherever free podcasts are sold so uh rate <laughs> review subscribe <laughs> nice comments five stars all that stuff uh welcome to our fifth episode you know i gotta say tom yeah the ken palm podcast it's a podcast ken palm ken palm rise on there he's he's very eloquent and is another host uh, and such they're taking the whole feast week off according to the the last podcast i listened to so we could and they're on their sixth podcast we could jump match and then jump ahead of them potentially by the time they, they uh, podcast next. So that's something to think about as you think about planning out your next week or so of college basketball podcast consumption, Tom.
0: That's true. Just remember though Ken Palm is tempo neutral. So
1: it's about the quality of the
0: podcast. If we do more, mm-hmm. we could play really fast. We could play like the Citadel, but we're not going to we got to be tempo adjusted, so we got to be good and frequent.
1: Yeah, FIU was mentioned on that podcast and not not really often mentioned on on hey. this podcast. Or early in any form whatsoever, but FIU is uh, playing at like in a remarkable style this year. So I want to take a look at FIU since we were talking about tempo neutral. FIU
0: um, was going to get a mention. We might as well talk about Columbia now because they beat Columbia, <laughs> dropped ninety-eight on them. In fact,
1: why am I having trouble finding FIU on the? Uh, is it just what as sort of FIU? Oh, That's there part, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not under Florida. So FIU this year has the number three tempo in in the sport they had a 130 possession game to open their season against weber international i by the way have been to weber international university in my time in florida it's uh in the middle of the state and i don't know it's, it was the battle of the international florida schools they won that 110 84 they did lose at fordham but they did win a semi away against columbia where was that game the semi away it was at fordham it was at fordham oh so yeah, that's, I, that's i believe. That's yeah. a, Heck of a tournament at Rose Hill. I don't know. Oh, I yeah. a... I've always wanted to go to Rose Hill, but I didn't go for the fi when Fordham won their own tournament, beating Youngstown State in a rollicking final um, by six. I don't. Maybe it wasn't even a final. They just seemed to play. No, it's just games. they
0: played three games in three days. Made some money. Columbia lost three games in three days.
1: Mm, it's hard to do. Yeah. Hard... Well. Yeah. And then meanwhile, Columbia's former coach uh, Kyle Smith gets a mention. A mensch. As Tom would say in every pod, he's uh, had one of the biggest improvements of the um, of the season of any team, basically based on the Ken Palm rating. But anyway, what do you want to start with, Tom? It's been we've seen a lot of basketball. It's, a lot has changed in our minds over the last week. What do you want to start us off with?
0: Well, let's talk about the biggest games last week, the Gavid games,
1: mm-hmm.
0: really reshaping people's opinions of the, some conferences, some teams within those conferences. Looks like the Big Ten is up, the Big East could be down. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan looked like they were on top of the world after smoking Villanova and obviously they're very good, but they're probably the only people in the country who did not like Furman's win against Villanova because it took a little bit of the luster off of uh, Michigan's win. But what do we think about the Big Ten uh, so far in the Big East, uh, especially after seeing all those teams play each other uh, last week in the Gavit games?
1: Well, one good nugget I got from Jordan Sperber. You got to follow that guy on Twitter and also listen to his podcast. Um only twice has like a major conference let's considered the, the big six conferences basically the the football power five plus the big east only twice this season has one of those teams scored less than 0.75 points per possession this year and both times it was um, against michigan which has the number one defense in the country this year against villanova they held them to f- 46 points which was 0.72 points per possession um, in a 73-46 win last week at and Pavilion. And then yesterday, against uh, my beloved Providence Friars, they held the Friars to just 22 first-half points and .73 points per possession in a 66-47 win at Mohegan Sun Arena, which has been called Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Dunkin Donuts Center South. Um, the Friars have done quite well there, beating um, Florida State and Notre Dame and South Carolina, and even an exhibition game against UConn. But then they fell out fell well short of Michigan, which um, is ranked eighth now in Ken Palm. That might still be a little low. He's, um, actually, I guess they're not up to seventh. They were eighth entering the Providence game. and you know, Entering the season, I thought the Big Ten was actually a little bit underrated. They had a very deep middle, but it looked like they didn't have a very good top. And I think now we see that Michigan might re- be a national championship contender at the top. Uh, they're ranked seven in Ken Palm. You could argue they're a top five team right now. Um, It's a defense that we haven't seen, really, from Michigan uh, prior to the last couple seasons. Um, Xavier Simpson is one of the best defensive guards in the country, and he's been much better offensively this year. He had eight assists to just one turnover against Providence. Uh, John Teske starting at center, and that's been an improvement for them. He's been a very good defensive center. Uh, Charles Matthews is a solid on defense. Isaiah Livers is not starting anymore. He was like the defensive stopper on the wing last year, but he's come up the bench. He played 28 minutes against Providence. And Ignis Bradzikis is uh, more of an offensive first player, um, but at 6'7 on, on the wing, he's still a pretty big body there. Uh, what are you thinking about Michigan Are moving forward with the rest of the Big Ten?
0: I mean, it's remarkable how they've completely changed because in their 2013 season, they were one of the best teams in the country offensively. That's when they were national runners up. In fact, they were first in offensive efficiency that year and then you go through the next few years they were 37th defense so like adequate but not really a championship level and then you click you go through 2014 they were in the 90s 89 2015 they were 100. 2016 they were 92nd 2017 they were 69th only last year really did they could become a top level defense when they were third so it's remarkable and a credit to beeline whose team has always been really run it slow don't turn the ball over you know kind of make your shots um, and really just take care of everything, and then the defense will take care of itself just because you wouldn't let the team run out in, um, in space. To really come down and just change everything and make it a very per-possession, strong defensive team is really remarkable and a credit to him, and that's really scary because their offense is going to be fine, uh, you would think, and he's a good offensive coach. So now that he's added defense and added some great defensive players, they may very, very well be the uh, best team in the Big Ten. Michigan State, we know, uh, started – Um, as the preseason favorite, but Michigan has the bodies and the experience and is really well coached too. So Mm -hmm, uh, credit mm -hmm. to Michigan.
1: And a lot of folks are maybe rightly, you would think, uh, crediting assistant coach Luke Yaklich with um, a lot of that resurgence on defense. He was a high school coach until he was hired by Dan Muller at Illinois State was the coach at Illinois State, uh, assistant coach at Illinois State for four years, and this is now his second season at Michigan, and that those two seasons coincide with Michigan's uh, transformation on defense. He went, he came from coaching Joliet Township High School in Joliet, Illinois. A really good friend of mine was from Joliet. He didn't end up going to that high school, but uh, it's – I just pronounce it Joliet, which is the French pronunciation, but uh, people in that town do not like it when you call it Joliet. But that's neither here nor there. Michigan. What do people in,
0: in Detroit think about how you say Detroit, Brendan? Detroit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I, it leads us to a, a little table I put together uh, this morning. Through games of yesterday, I wanted to compare which team's efficiency margin in adjusted efficiency margin in Ken Palm had improved the most or gotten the worst since uh, the season started. And um, Michigan had improved the fourth most in the entire nation behind Samford, San Francisco, and Utah State, and the most among any big uh, major conference school. The Big Ten actually has four of the top five largest improvers since the start of the season. Michigan, Ohio State, who's won at Cincinnati and at Creighton, Nebraska, who has—they beat Seton Hall by 20 in the Gavit Games, 22, I believe, but they've just been destroying opponents. Fourth is Duke— which you know certainly Duke is Duke. Um, they knocked off uh, Kentucky, and they're right now they're destroying San Diego State, which is a pretty good team. And then fifth is Indiana, which has jumped up as well. I mean, part of this is you know Ken Pomp's system might be underrating over eight certain teams during the season, but for four of your top five um, of, of 75 major conference teams from the same conference, and the Big Ten actually as a conference has the largest aggregate improvement of any conference uh, of any of the 31-32 conferences. With the West Coast Conference being second in that group, uh, led by San Francisco, Loyal, Marymount, San Diego, St. Mary's have all been much better than expected entry in the season. Um, and so the Big Ten, you know, they've been dominant. It's just record wise, I think they have a ridiculously good record, uh, even though Purdue lost to Virginia Tech in the final of the. Um, charleston classic and indiana lost a tough game uh yesterday at arkansas um to the young uh, arkansas razorbacks they still have a conference it looks like it's ready to get eight or nine bids you have any thoughts on either the big 10 or either of those games from yesterday
0: uh let's talk about that indiana arkansas game because i know we like archie miller as a good coach everyone was super excited in indiana when he took over but that was a really poorly executed uh game down the stretch um basically what happened is they were going back and forth uh uh right right down to the wire 17 seconds left though they get a re- rebound they have the ball they're inbounding underneath their own basket tied at 72 17 seconds left so you think the worst case scenario is they go to overtime there's really no reason um that they should not shoot the ball with fewer than three or more than three seconds left on the clock but um instead they do. I think it was Finney. You put up the three. Well, too long. Then they missed a putback, and then they fouled the guy with two and a half <laughs> seconds left, which was moronic. And then to compound matters, uh, Archie Miller called his team's final timeout. And so they made the the guy made the first free throw, and they were up. Uh, Arkansas was up 73-72, and then Archie Miller calls a timeout between free throws. But there are only two and a half seconds left. So Indiana is gonna shoot a three. So he just misses the th- free throw on purpose, and then Indiana shot a heave it wasn't it wasn't even close and it was basically a second too early they could have advanced the ball a little bit more before they shot it so basically everything you could have coached against in the last 17 seconds indiana did wrong so obviously it's tough you're coaching 18 year olds and indiana's a pretty young team but at the same time you, you got to be better and just prepare your players better than that you can't have that kind of execution that was just mind bogglingly bad execution
1: yeah it's interesting game a lot of red in that game um we saw daniel gafford go off for 27 points on just 15 uh Attempts with three blocks and 12 rebounds. Um, He's probably a first-round pick, probably a lottery pick. Um, Isaiah Joe had not a great game, but he's looking like a decent player. Mason Jones had seven assists and no turnovers for Arkansas. It's a team that I picked to kind of finish below their ranking in the SEC, and they're looking... Uh, like they're going to be better sooner than I expected. For Indiana, you know, Jawan Morgan didn't hardly play in the first half because of foul trouble, but was terrific in the second half. He ended up with 15 points, seven rebounds, and he's the one that had that final heave um that was, you know, there was no chance that was going to go in. Rob Finissey's actually been a terrific player for them this year as a freshman point guard. Um, Devontae Green had been their uh, starter. He was a little bit suspect during the season, and now he's been injured, and he's felt great. He didn't play as well yesterday, um, and then he made that decision to shoot a little bit early uh, down the stretch. And it, Deron Davis had the easy putback, and it was the only shot he missed the entire game. He was 5 or 6, and he missed a, a putback that would have put them up by 2. The funniest part about—well, i out not funny, not if you're an Indiana fan, but the strangest part about that timeout was— Again, like you said, two and a half seconds left. They've already made the first free throw. You have one timeout left. You can see on the sideline Archie Miller talking to his team on the court and motioning, doing the motion of timeout, the T sign with his hands, and giving that kind of like the hump of the wrist of like, when the shot goes in, call timeout. Like You could tell him saying, okay, we want timeout after the shot goes in or is missed. And then it's almost like one of his assistants kind of gets in his ear and yells, hey, you no, know, timeout now, timeout now. And you can see Miller look over to them and say, oh, so we should call timeout now? And and the, guy, and the system, I guess, is like, yeah. <laughs> and so Miller calls timeout. I don't know if the system was thinking we should set up our play or we should ice him at this point, but when you're already down by one, icing is not particularly useful. And, right. you know, that also gave time for the Arkansas players to huddle around Mike Anderson and to problem for him to say, hey, no timeout, they have no timeouts now. Just miss the shot, and, um, and they'll have really no options. And that was the case. What about the Purdue-Virginia Tech game? Uh, I'm not sure if you caught any of that. I kind of watched last, fast-forwarded through it. It was a really exciting game, but I don't know what, if you had any thoughts, initial thoughts on that matchup.
0: Yeah, Virginia Tech, not so deep, but they are very good and they can score. You know, I'm high on them and Auburn, uh, two teams that really can uh, keep the tempo up and score. And they trailed by 12 with 18 minutes to go in this game and just destroyed them down the stretch. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Ahmed Hill and Justin Robinson combined to play 119 out of 120 minutes, and they scored 71 and the 89 points. Purdue is obviously really good, but they gave up 1.29 points per possession. Um, we'll see how Virginia Tech wears through the season, relying on such a short bench right now. They're not deep. They had that suspension. That name's escaping me who they suspended Chris Clark, but, I believe yeah. his name is. Yeah. Or, or kicked off the team or kicked out of school. Who knows what's going on? But we'll see with that. But it's a good win, yeah, it was in Charleston um and yeah they're exciting offensive team and I think they're a sleeper in the ACC they're gonna be one of those teams where you know everyone's looking forward to do Carolina all those games all the two games all the Carolina games but Virginia Tech's gonna be fun to watch uh Mm -hmm. in that conference
1: I think yeah we saw a huge game from Nikhil and Alexander Walker who had 25 points six rebounds three assists a block and a steal Uh, They had three players with at least 20 points, including Ahmed Hill and Justin Robinson. Robinson uh, was one of the best players in college basketball. I I think it's pretty much uh, obvious at this point. Speaking of best players in college basketball, Carson Edwards had 26 points. He's only three of 11 on three pointers though, and had six turnovers. So it wasn't his best game. Uh, That, the game was re- the teams are actually really similar to each other. If you look at uh, their rankings, different categories on Ken Palm, one sixth in offense, one seventh in offense. Um, Virginia Tech's sixth. Um, Vat is uh, is 63rd in defense and Purdue's 42nd. They're both really good shooting teams. They don't get to the foul line very much. They're both not very fast teams. Um, but Purdue, I thought I was impressed with uh, Evan Boudreaux. The transfer from Dartmouth, who had a really good game, 18 points, seven rebounds, three assists, and no and two steals without any turnovers. Ryan Klein has become a much better player than he was in the past. He made four three pointers. It was really just actually an excellent game to watch. I I went into yesterday thinking, okay, I couldn't watch live the Providence Michigan game being a Providence fan, so I was going to tape it. I was going to come home and watch it. I turned on the TV and I guess because I taped multiple things, it just defaulted to the Providence game. And the game had a minute left and they were down by 23. And I said, um. I'm not List, going to go back and watch this from down, the beginning. Delete.
0: Are you sure you want to delete this, delete this recording?
1: Yes? Okay. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so, But I had already decided, I was like, well, I need to start watching a little bit more college basketball if I'm going to do a college basketball podcast. Just with the <laughs> amount of time I was doing other things, I hadn't had a lot of time to watch a live, live games. But I decided, let's tape the two best games of the day, according to Ken Palm, and that was Indiana-Arkansas and Purdue uh, against Virginia Tech. And then those games did not disappoint. The irony is, I watched two Big Ten teams lose in a season where they've been Basically, utterly dominant um, yeah, as, a, seen, as a conference.
0: You've seen two of their six losses. Illinois has a loss, one and one. They lost to Georgetown. Georgetown yeah.
1: lost to St.
0: John's. They're two and one. And Michigan State lost to Kansas. And Indiana, we talked about. I don't know who Penn State lost to, but they have. They're the they lost to DePaul. DePaul. So I mean, just to talk about how good the Big Ten is, they have. Everybody but one team is in the top 80. Rutgers is the only team that's not in the top 80. How many teams are in the Big Ten now? 14?
1: 14,
0: yeah. So 14 teams in the top 80, 12 in the top 50, and
1: 6
0: in the top 30. 7 in the top 30, and 8 in the top 33, 9 in the top 35, 10 in the top 36.
1: It's pretty good. Yeah, one team to discuss, I think, is Iowa. This is an interesting team. They went to MSG last week, probably. The third of the four teams, in terms of you were going to rank them entering, they played Oregon and then and they beat Oregon and then they beat UConn that knocked off Syracuse in the um, in the semifinals, um, and Iowa last season and really for the last couple had been really really poor on defense. And so a lot of people thought, well, they return a lot, but their defense is just so bad. Um, but we saw them hold Oregon to less than a point per possession. We saw them hold Connecticut to less than a point per possession, even though they didn't really play that well leading up to the tournament, um, beating me- a mediocre UMKC and Green Bay teams by less than what was probably the point spread, and giving up some points in both those games. Well, I guess their offenses, defense is pretty good against UMKC. But... I didn't expect them to play so well uh, against these better defensive teams. Well, particularly Oregon, um, Oregon though, on offense is really struggling right now. Um, and they're looking just a little bit out of sorts, kind of similar actually, to last year's team that, um, was had so much hype entering the season with their freshmen and they ended up not making the NCAA tournament. This team looks a little bit better. Bowl bowl has been actually quite good. They still have Paul white, the former Georgetown player, um, so they, and they haven't even had Louis King, one of their top freshmen, play this year because of injury. But, um, but Iowa has, um, has been for, has 4-0. Uh, they play Pittsburgh in the uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge. It should be a win. Um, and then they actually have interesting games to open the conference season. They play on a Friday, November 30th. They host Wisconsin. And then on Monday, December 3rd, they play at Michigan State. And we've seen Wisconsin this year play quite well after their week after their off year last year. Um, they beat Xavier at Xavier, entering Xavier's really long home non-conference winning streak. Ethan Habsben is the Ken Palm number two player of the year so far. Uh, they're, they've really quite deep, playing uh, you know eight, seven eight guys a lot of minutes. Um, and it looks like Wisconsin, after one year, blip is another one of those Big Ten teams that has been. Uh, looks like they're going to be an NCAA tournament team.
0: Yeah, uh, the thing about Iowa, which is interesting. Is- there are a lot of teams that came in there. That was a big time, two days, as far as changing people's opinions of teams. Connecticut came in. Their fans were feeling their oats after Dan Hurley came in. They beat two nobodies. Then they come in and beat Syracuse at the Garden, which, of course, gets UConn fans going after the old Big East rivalry. Um, but then they go out and lose the next day to Iowa. And Syracuse comes in and drops two two bad games, really, and does not play very good defense. Now, Syracuse had been rated. Pretty highly. Sweet 16 last year, they bring everybody back, but maybe they weren't quite as good last year as a Sweet 16 team. Maybe I know they beat, I think they beat Michigan State in the second round of the mm-hmm. tournament. Some people were high on them. But what do you think of Connecticut under Hurley to start off the season and where Syracuse is after those two games?
1: Well, um, you know. Much like when Georgetown beat Illinois last week, when Illinois was out without its best player, uh, Trent Frazier, UConn beat a shorthanded Syracuse team without Frank Howard um, and came back to earth the next day. Georgetown came back to earth later last week, uh, losing to Loyola Marymount in uh, Jamaica, and we saw UConn lose by 19. To Iowa, you know, against Syracuse, I thought UConn had enough good shooters to against that zone. I think that's why I said last week, although I've been so wrong a lot this year that I shouldn't really give myself credit at <laughs> the time that I happen to be right. They made 12 of 21 three-pointers. Uh, we saw, you know, Ant- Altari Gilbert hit four of them. C- uh, Christian Vital hit three. Jalen Admonds hit two of them with 20 points. Um, and then against Iowa, you know, as you can see, one game to the next. 12 for 21 one game. The next game, they were four for three—actually, um, 10—sorry, four for 26 so they went from 12 for, tw- for 21 to 4 for 26, um, and even though they shot 58% on two-pointers, uh, their offense was was very poor. Um Al-Tariq Gilbert was 1 for 9 in that game, and Terrence Smith was 0 for 6. So a lot of fluctuation when you take that many three-pointers. I don't know if um, Connecticut should be should taking that many three-pointers, but um, and they've only taken threes on 37% of their shots this year, which actually isn't very high uh the ACC the AAC isn't that strong this year uh and so I think they'll be right in the middle of the pack 500 or slightly above 500 um when it comes to Syracuse they seemed a bit overrated entering the season because they returned so much and because of how they finished last season um you know Gary Parish made a good point on his uh his podcast with Matt Norlander and CBS they reminded them similar to Loyola that oh how could you have Syracuse rated so low they were made the th- they made the Sweet 16, and they returned most of their players. How could you have Loyola so low? They made the Final Four and returned a large chunk of their players. Well, it's not like Loyola was a top-four team last year, just like Syracuse was not a top-16 team last year. Syracuse was a borderline top-40 team, and Loyola is a borderline top-30 team. So, um, the fact that they struggled in this tournament is surprising. You know, they usually play well in the Garden. They had the better team than Connecticut. They theoretically have a better, have as good a team as Oregon. But, um, they just haven't played very well, and, and part of it, you know, 20.5% on three-pointers—that's 345th in the nation. It's not going to get it. It's not going to cut it, especially when you're no. only shooting 48.2 on two-pointers. They're 321st in the country in effective field percentage. I'm going to guess that there's not going to be many major conference teams below them. Let's see. They are. Yeah, here they are. Here are the major conference teams below them in field percentage this year none there's not a single one (laughs) they're 42.3 the next lowest major conference team as i scroll up i might miss one is washington state of the pac-12 which is notoriously ridiculously bad team
0: they should lose Um, their they should lose their major conference uh status that's pretty bad
1: washington state's 184th in the country in kempom and they're the only team within shouting distance of syracuse in shooting this year so part of that is syracuse is bad shooting just a luck thing and they'll make more shots moving forward but you know part of it is maybe their offense is not going to be very good um yeah obviously they're missing frank howard but i mean we'll see
0: yeah you can't shoot 48.2 percent
1: of from two and never
0: and just shoot that poorly from three and not not make them any threes not mm-hmm. take that many threes and be problems one other you talked about three pointers really got me we talked about firm a little bit we did not talk about Villanova. Mm-hmm. And they are shooting a lot of threes, and they're not making their threes. Now, of course, last year, they could not miss in the tournament. They couldn't miss all year. They set the record for most threes in a season by a team. They set the tournament record with, I think, in the semifinal of, uh, for most threes in a tournament. Um, what do we think about Villanova? They're trying to bring in a freshman class that isn't necessarily playing that much right now. They have, you know, um, uh, Quinterly's not playing versus Furman. He barely even playing at all. They had .724 points per possession against Furman, which is the lowest for uh, villanova in five years i think it's basically the lowest uh, this is the first time they've lost consecutive games in five years uh what do you make of villanova um with a rare blip like the michigan game you kind of understand but then lose to Furman at home is, is really bad are you worried about villanova as a big east uh, title contender
1: yeah um it's interesting this is a good entree in talking about the big east which of course is the conference is like my heart conference the conference i've been following for my entire life And, you know, we knew the Big East might be in trouble this year. They had such a veteran conference last year, such a fun, high-quality league, a lot of good teams, but a lot of good players left. Um, At the same time, we saw some very good recruiting classes coming in and good transfers. Um, You know, Villanova had a top recruiting class led by Quinterly, Cole Swider, um, and neither one of those guys is playing very much. Um, you know, Providence had a top class coming in, and while they've gotten pretty good play from David Duke and A.J. Reeves, uh, they haven't gotten as good play from a top 50 guard they recruited last year, Makai Ashton Langford. So that's Makai Ashton Langford and Javon Quinterly are both, like, top 40 point guards coming out of high school. One, Ashton Langford is, is not, did not play well last year and has not been good this year, and Quinterly, obviously, a much smaller amount of time, is hardly playing for Villanova. Villanova's had Dylan Painter, a sophomore, already transfer, um, and we've seen xavier although they played better today against auburn with a bunch of transfers coming in, haven't played hasn't played that well um and marquette which is the team that seemed most stable in in essence because they brought in uh they had brought a lot returning players they got destroyed by indiana an indiana team that again though they played well this year uh, just lost to arkansas on the road not not a top team in the sec but let's focus on villanova because the conference has been made by villanova the last few years the league's been solid top to bottom, a top 2 or 3 league every year since the 2014-15 season, that's four straight seasons. Um, but Villanova has been the team that's done the damage in the NCAA tournament. You know, Butler's been solid there, but Xavier has kind of been hit or miss. They've been good when they've been a bad seed and bad when they've been a good seed. And you know, Providence and Creighton, a couple of teams that have been consistently good in the Big East haven't done well in the NCAA tournament. So Villanova has papered over a lot of those uh, NCAA tournament problems by winning two of the last three NCAA tournaments. That's a good way to paper pro over problems. But when your standard bearer suddenly looks quite vulnerable and the rest of your league is also suffering through a lot of losses in terms of that, losses on the court, but also losses in personnel from last season, the league has to be worried that this could be one of those years that if they don't turn it around, and it could seriously only get maybe three teams in the NCAA tournament. You know, the league has gotten five or six teams uh, seven teams one year. I think they had four in 2014 under the reconstituted Big East. But I think there's a real chance that if there's just not going to be enough quality wins in there for teams um, that are lower down, like in the middle of the pack, to go to the tournament. They had four teams in 2014, a 2 3, 11, and 12. Providence won the tournament to make the tournament as an 11. In 2015, that was actually the weakest year the conference has had since being reconstituted. And this year is looking very similar to that, if not a little bit worse. Because remember that year, Villanova was a two seed. They lost to UConn in the NCAA tournament in the second round. And Creighton was a three seed with Doug McDermott winning National Player of the Year. So they had two top seeds, and they lost the second round of the tournament to Baylor. In 2015, they got six teams, a one, a four, two six, three sixes and a nine. Um, in 2016, the conference got five bids, two twos, a six, and two nines. In 2017, the league got seven bids, a 1, a 4, a 6, a 9, a 10, and two 11s. And then last year, the conference got six more teams, two ones, two eights, two 8s, and two tens. And, and both of those 10s, Butler and Providence, actually were true seed nines, had to be dropped down just for um, kind of conference balancing. So I think it's legitimate this year. Why don't I throw it to you, Tom, and then I'll jump back in after.
0: Yeah, just to add what you're saying, since the Big East was formed in 20, the current Big East, assumed its form basically in 2013-14 season, I just looked up the wins. There have been 15 tournament wins by Villanova, and there have been 16 by the rest of the conference combined. So that really adds to your point that Villanova has carried the conference. Now, of course, they're the best team. They've won two national titles, So, the, and they're part of the Big East. So I think they really – it's not you can – and, you know, there have been good teams in the Big East to come out of it, and it's really tough to say. Even over a five-year stretch, should we use the tournament to be, you know, the – um. The uh, be all end all of judging a conference. But Villanova has helped, and it will hurt the league if they don't have a truly elite team. Like, they're going to be a good league this year. They're very compressed. There's no terrible teams in the league. If you look at the Ken Palm ratings right now, it goes from Villanova 22nd, and Georgetown's the worst on Ken Palm at 74th. So that's a pretty narrow uh, spot to kind of wedge in 10 teams. It's, you know, it's pretty tight, and there's really going to be a lot of. Up and down between especially in the you know basically the five through eight area about who's better but xavier's won seven tournament games and ballers won five no one else has won more than one tournament game since this conference mm-hmm. tournament since this conference reform so that's something that is bears watching and i think villanova obviously has a lot of time to try to figure things out and maybe their freshmen will get more experience but it's bad for the conference when you don't have a team that's truly da- that looks truly dangerous and is losing mm-hmm. to deferment at home
1: yeah, it's no surprise that in my same table where we looked at the teams that have biggest Rodgers and biggest followers, the biggest follower in terms of adjusted efficiency margin in, in Ken Pomp since start of the season is Villanova. That's, they've dropped from 5th uh, to 23rd, but that doesn't really show the the magnitude of the of the drop. Uh, 6.2 efficiency margins, margin points, which is more than drop the Michigan has gained this year. The second worst is Missouri, which of course was probably overrated due to Jonte Porter being thought to be on the team. Third worst, this is of the major conference teams, Syracuse, uh, we talked about them. Kentucky, obviously, has had a rough start. Um, kind of a, a ugly play despite winning each of its games since the uh, the loss to Duke. And Boston College, which is disappointed um, with Kai Bowman uh, as their leader. I think they lost. They lost. Uh, Who did they lose to? Let me look that up while we're talking. Um, and also down there is uh, Georgetown, actually. So Boston College lost to IUPUI by seven at home after trailing at the half to Milwaukee. Um, they ended up blowing Milwaukee out in that game, but they did trail at the half, and so they've dropped significantly. Um, but Georgetown is on here, the, has dropped the fifth most of any team, and that's despite people kind of ooey and I over Mac McClung and James Akinjo after they beat Illinois last week. A couple of teams that are down here you might want to consider, we can talk about a little bit. West Virginia is the next team on the list. They've lost twice already this year to Buffalo and I think Western Kentucky. Texas A&M lost a lot from last season and apparently wasn't dropped quite enough by Ken Palm. Remember, they were a 17 in the NCAA tournament, went to the Sweet 16, came back and were 48 in Ken Palm, and now they dropped over to 69. Creighton, we've seen them lose to Ohio State In South Carolina. Those last couple of games, they lost to Stony Brook and to Providence. Uh, if you give up again, Baylor, as um, a while lost to Texas Southern. It's not very good either. Do you have any thoughts on any of those big droppers?
0: We talked about West Virginia a lot last uh, last week, and they have you know played. Three B games on Ken Palm. They've lost two of them. Buffalo at home, which is bad. And Western Kentucky more recently on Friday has another bad loss. Um, We talked all about Press Virginia and how without Carter, it's not the same thing. So I think that really bears watching. Um, Let's go back to that table there. Uh, Georgetown's a little surprising. Kentucky, also a little surprising. Uh, Georgetown's not surprising that they dropped. It's just you think people think they're playing well. They're getting good press, but they've actually dropped based on their preseason expectations um mm-hmm. baylor's been banged up um mm-hmm. mason hasn't been playing so that's a problem for them kentucky um they had they looked a little better though they did give up 89 points at home to vmi last night but retravis travis has gelled a little better so i wouldn't be too concerned about them that might just be um a product of some weird you know preseason calculation with all the new faces there uh texas again they struggled they almost lost to arkansas um, and Xavier l- played better today against Auburn um, in Maui and took them to overtime. In fact, they barely led in the second... They didn't lead in the second half. They led briefly in overtime, uh, but then lost. Um, yeah, they got, so. a, they got a kind
1: of a rough call and a goaltend there towards the yeah. end. Um, but I mean, it still so would have just tied the game. So.
0: Yeah, so... And it ended up being right on the number, by the way. Amazing how that works out. The spread yeah. in that game, even in overtime. So it finds, life finds a way to even that out. So those are my thoughts on those teams. Uh, I'm a little... Yeah, I'm not really worried about Syracuse because I don't like them, but I think you're right. They're going to have to shoot the ball better uh, to and get them in the A.T.C.
1: On the other side of that shooting thing is um, is Kentucky, which has allowed 43.4% shooting on three-pointers, which is 338th in the country this year. So And their defense, because of that, is down at 37th in the country. So you figure there's a pretty good chance that uh, the defense regresses back um, towards the norm uh, towards the mean um, and because people aren't going to shoot 40 percent because the team is long as uh, Kentucky the whole season. Yeah.
0: Maybe Columbia will win a game. Well, are they down? They're not down, and they may have to the major conferences.
1: but they've yeah, dropped... they're, yeah, they're not in the major conference. That's a big reason why they're not down there. Yeah, but... They're the biggest dropper of the Ivy League. They've dropped yeah. 43 spots from 213 to 256. Uh, another dropper there is a team I'm going to see in person this week, Iona, out of the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, they've dropped 35 points. They're one spot behind Columbia. And then there's West Virginia. You can see down there, and you can go further. Uh, you see GW's in there. They've had a really rough start. Santa Clara under Herb Sendek, a lot of injuries. They've had a rough start. Um, Monmouth under King Rice. Obviously, they had that great run a couple of years ago, with beating so many good teams and nearly making the NCAA tournament at large. And they got snubbed. And now they have dropped already this year from 176th under the season in Ken Palm to 248th through uh, basically two weeks of the season.
0: Yeah, plenty of plenty of basketball still to be played. Interesting to see how things move and how uh, Ken Palm's ratings calibrate. Uh, I think January 28th is when he drops all preseason things and it's just pure data for the adjusted efficiency and the um, and all that good stuff. So that's it's pretty far into the season. So, mm-hmm. but he know he knows what he's doing. I, I yeah, I Ken think. Palm.
1: I think what you're going to see, too, because of that, is you're going to see teams that have underachieved so far this year actually continue to drop as the season goes on because their preseason ranking is going to fall more and more out of their ranking. So in the conferences especially, the Big East is going to see their rating actually continue to go down even if they just play normally moving forward because the expectations from the season are going to be removed slowly from their rating. The opposite is true of the Big Ten. Uh, So I think you're, you're going to continue to see Big Ten and Big East teams go in opposite directions, um, barring a turnaround in how those teams are playing over the next few weeks.
0: Yeah. you see how uh, Buddy Bayheim's name was misspelled on his jersey for Syracuse?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've got to talk about the fact that first his name's Buddy, and also, how old is Jim Beheim that he's had, got his son who's a freshman in college? Jim Beheim has literally been coaching Syracuse since before I was born. It's ridiculous. And he's had no sense of humor the entire time.
0: Yeah, none. I'm looking up yeah. Buddy Beheim, see if he has an official name here on his uh, com page. Number 35.
1: Yeah, and Dan Hurley uh, had an interesting chest bump and then handshake in that win over Syracuse as well. I think it was the same game that he had the misspelled jersey. Dan Hurley's a little bit of a nut, let's face it. Oh, uh, like, yeah. yeah. The whole Hurley family, I don't know how the dad is, but Bob, Bobby and Dan Hurley are uh, slightly off-kilter. Good, good coaches, especially Dan, but a little bit... Um,
0: uh, yeah, the off words. the grid. Yeah. Uh, not off the grid, off the uh, not off the mark a little. Off the, the reservation. Way, yeah, Jackson Thomas Buddy Beheim, born in November 1999. He's the son of Jim and Julie Beheim. He's sensing a lot of Js here. His yeah. older brother Jimmy is a sophomore at Cornell. Oh
1: yeah, and, yeah, I think I knew that. And he's on
0: 1999.
1: The how old would that have made him when Jim Beheim was was? Uh, how old would Buddy have been when Jim Beheim uh, when he was born? How old? I didn't even think. How old would Buddy Beheim be, when, be he when he was born? born? It would have been zero.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's usually how it works. By the way, it's a twin sister Jamie, another J, who uh, is a freshman on the basketball team at Rochester. He has an older sister Elizabeth.
1: Oh, what's up with oh. that? Yeah. If, um, Jim Beheim would have been either 54 or 55, depending on when Buddy Beheim was born. Okay, he was born was November, dude, so
0: November '99. So you. November, figured
1: well, out. so was Jim Beheim. Was born November 1944.
0: Ooh. Ooh okay. Well. We'll have to let that one. It's tight. Live in, live tight. in mystery. Which one of us?
1: Much like the spread of Big East teams and Ken Palm, uh, it's tight. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the upcoming action?
0: No. Let's start picking. It's a big week. It's already started. In fact. It's feast week.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is that an ESPN only thing, or can we say it? Are we allowed to say it?
1: Uh, it, I think every time when we say Midnight Madness, we have to give like $4 to Rick Pitino, and then <laughs> Feast Week, we have to give like 45 cents more in our carriage disputes to, uh, to ESPN. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have uh, a bunch of good tournaments um the maui actually already started you might know that if you're listening to this like live but you can't It would already have started <laughs> by the time you listen to this tomorrow being <laughs> tuesday or wednesday or yeah. you know, the tournament might have already been over you could listen to this in four years and be like wow i remember when zion wins was in college at duke and now he's like just chilling for the uh orlando magic or something um but we had a, the value Patient started today uh it's people are saying it's the greatest field of all time i don't really get that because arizona's not that good this year and Illinois is not that good this year, and Iowa State and, has its injuries. So Gonzaga uh, is missing their best player. So
0: it maybe pump the brakes on that. On the BNF This is the worst point.
1: Xavier team in like five years. So uh, <laughs> besides that, though, this is the That's best game in, in the history yeah. of mankind.
0: It's Auburn's good. good, though.
1: I like Auburn. It's the London Marathon of uh, <sighs> of uh, well, we're, of we're at two track references tournament. now. Let's see if yeah. we get to three. We got plenty of time. The London Marathon, as you know, Tom often announces its, its field as the greatest marathon field of all time. And so that was the, that was
0: the, That's reference. the reference. Yeah. kind got it.
1: Yeah. So Auburn played Xavier won in overtime. Uh, they will play the winner of Duke San Diego state, which I believe might've just ended. It's, uh, um,
0: Duke one. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, Duke won. It was up they were up 84 51. So I feel like they probably held on. You got a final there.
0: Uh, no, I don't, but I'll tell yeah. you in a second.
1: My, my Yahoo sports page is not loading very properly. And the question is, why am I using Yahoo sports? Um, the final was my, my find and replace doesn't oh ninety to I'm really having trouble with my browser right now. Just it was, it was ninety to something.
0: Ninety to sixty-four. There it is.
1: <laughs> there you go. I yeah. I literally found Duke on the page, but it wouldn't go down uh, to to like the San Diego State, because the other team below. So all I saw was Duke Blue Devils ninety, and then I didn't see the other score. So the rest of the field, um, we kind of talked about almost every other team already. But So you have Duke playing Auburn in one semifinal, and the other semifinal will be the winner of Iowa State-Arizona, which is probably the best game of the day, at least most competitive-looking uh, at first glance. And then the other one is Gonzaga-Illinois. Uh, Illinois may or may not have Trent Frazier back. He is uh, a concussion, and so he's been held out uh, because of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on this tournament?
0: uh first of all no shamanah this year shamanah's only gonna get to play every other year in this tournament they're the d2 school d3 whatever they are not division d2. one two. yeah yeah so they don't get to play they're only going to play every other year so that's another reason it's quote unquote the best field ever it's kind of a shame but they always get blown out so almost always get blown out so whatever um another random thought did you know the championship game is played before the third place game in this tournament on
1: wednesday Yeah, I think that's different this year. It used to be. The championship game would be played at like uh, 9 or 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and now it's played at like noon Hawaii time, which is I think like 6 or something.
0: It's 5 Eastern,
1: yeah. 5, yeah. Yeah. That's weird. So that's weird.
0: Um, I think my my big bold pick for this game is that Auburn, Duke will win the tournament. That's not a bold prediction. But Auburn will, in the semifinal, will keep it closer than Gonzaga does in the final. That's my big prediction.
1: Okay. Okay, okay. Um, I don't have a great feel for this tournament. Um, Auburn's been really impressive until today. Uh, you know, Xavier had not played that well. They're probably a better team than what they played, and they played better today. So I'm not going to hold that all against Auburn. Um, Duke looks, uh, kind of irresistible right now. Um, but we'll see. I think, I think Gonzaga actually might have a little bit of trouble with Illinois tonight. I think they'll win, but Illinois' guard pressure could give Gonzaga some some trouble. um, I don't, I don't love the ball handling uh, at times of uh, of Gonzaga's guards, um, especially Geno Crandall coming off the bench and uh, Zach Norvell, who's a really good shooter, isn't necessarily the best ball handler. They do uh, still have Josh Perkins, who's really solid um, in a lower usage role than he has in the past. And with Rui Hachimura at the four and Brandon Clark at the five, they certainly have them, some bodies there. Uh, to compete with anyone, and that includes Duke in the final. So I, th- I think that game to be closer than the experts think, especially Trent Frazier plays. Um, I'll take Arizona over Iowa State just because I was so banged up with Wigginton out and other players out. Um, and so that would leave what? Arizona versus Gonzaga, kind of a yep. matchup of the two top uh, Western programs of the last uh, 15 or 20 years. Um, and then we'll have Duke Auburn, which is I kind of wish it was Auburn and Gonzaga, and the winner of that would play Duke because I think Gonzaga will handle Arizona pretty well. Yeah, they got to the reseed the, uh,
0: these preseason tournaments. They got to reseed them, you know, two yeah.
1: three days in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I guess I'm a little bit less excited about these tournaments than I w- would be in the past. I, just, I feel like this tournament could have been a lot more balanced if duke and gonzaga weren't as dominant and if illinois and iowa state weren't as banged up and if xavier and arizona weren't down like all those have combined to kind of make the tournament less interesting than otherwise would have been like if you had these teams i guess not last year because iowa state and Illinois were bad last year but it just feels like this could have been a better set of teams than what we have right now but part of it i think is just duke is so good that you've you know normally duke auburn you're like a number one team versus number seven team or whatever it is like okay that's a good matchup but Duke just feels like a little bit better, like its own tier right now, maybe. Yeah, and I not think to, that, you know, Kansas is obviously really good,
0: too. No, but in this tournament, I think they're head and shoulders above everybody, and I think that hurts the tournament. There's actually another tournament we're going to to that I am more excited about uh, than this one, just because I think we're going to get better games mm-hmm. uh, later this week. Of course, whatever for Arizona, whatever happens this week probably will not be worse than what happened to them last year. <laughs> when they went out through a tournament and lost to NC State, SMU, and Purdue on three straight nights and fell out of the top 25. And they remember, they were ranked they were what, top five last year. They were number seven. two
1: at that point entering that week.
0: And they got knocked out of the top 25 in three days. So, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. They, put, they pulled the Villanova only more intense. It was a more intense yeah. version of Villanova. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I want to go back to that. That was battle We can probably use this as a segue to get into the Battle of Atlantis. That was the Battle of Atlantis last year. I think and... it's the Battle 4,
0: number 4, Atlantis. Just to... yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, fact check you' run yeah, them that's true
1: yeah um so it's like a, it's like the boy band of uh, <laughs> of college basketball in season <laughs> tournaments um so they that tournament had Purdue and Arizona in the seventh place game and Purdue went to the 316 and finished the season um or I actually at the they finished season-ranked number five in the country last year in Kempom, Purdue did. And Arizona was the kind of preseason number two team in the country behind Duke, and they played in the 7-8 game. It was weird because I wanted Villanova as a Big East fan to get all these great opportunities for wins, and yet um, they didn't really get them because they the teams that they were supposed to play never actually got that far. Um, in that tournament, Villanova played Western Kentucky in the first game, and I remember they didn't play that well. It was actually quite close, and Michigan Kentucky ended up being a pretty good team. It wasn't that bad of a win, a close win at the time. They won by eight points, and then they played Tennessee because Tennessee, who knew Tennessee was going to be really good? Tennessee had knocked off Purdue in overtime. And you're like, wow, what a bad loss for Purdue. And then Tennessee became the SEC champion, and then and Villanova knocked them off by nine, and they, that game was close. Was like, what's wrong with Villanova? They barely beat Western <laughs> Kentucky. They barely beat Tennessee, and then the final was it, That was this is the weirdest part. Northern Iowa. Which which got to the final without having to beat Arizona, but they beat SMU and North Carolina State to get to the final. Um, and NC State went to the NC tournament last year, uh, but Northern Iowa didn't. The seventh and eighth and fourth place teams in that tournament went to the NC tournament, and the number two team, Northern Iowa, didn't didn't make it. It was just a weird, just a weird event. It was very weird, yeah.
0: yeah. This year's version. You want to talk about this year's version? Sure. So this year's version has um, Florida against Oklahoma, Wisconsin versus Stanford, and one half of the. And then Butler-Dayton, sneaky good game. And Virginia versus Middle Tennessee State in the bottom half of the, mm. uh, so half
1: we're gonna, the bracket. So what we're going to do with some of these tournaments, with three of these tournaments, is, is do a little draft. So remember those teams. And I'm going to I'm going to go through the teams from the Advocare, and then Tom will go through the matchups for the Wooden Legacy. And then what we're going to do, we're going to have a four-round draft. We're just going to pick four teams each that we think will ha- have the best results from those tournaments. And we'll, you know, I don't know we are. Well, we'll bet something very expensive and valuable. Uh, maybe James Paxton will be whoever whoever wins the most points. We're going we're to score it track and field style. There's your third reference, where a first place finish in the in the tournament is worth 10 points. Second place is six, and third place is um sorry, second place is eight, third place is six, and all the way down. So um, the Advocate Invitational, sponsored by Ponzi schemes, is um well, it's not really Ponzi, it's more a pyramid scheme than a Ponzi scheme actually. Um, but don't don't get involved with advocare, everyone. Um, but this is the advocare Invitational. I think it's in they're Orlando. They're probably regretting
0: sponsoring this right now.
1: Yeah, and they're also a sponsor of this podcast, surprisingly. Ironically, um, but but I actually paid them eighty dollars to sponsor it. So that's it's a weird, it's like a very strange setup. Yeah. Um, that tournament I believe is in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Uh, the matchups are Villanova versus Canisius. Oklahoma State and Memphis, Colorado College of Charleston versus LSU, and UAB Florida State. And these teams have played each other, like a lot of these teams have played each other already, because usually they have the tournaments where you have the eight teams, and then you have the pre-tournament games on the campus sites, where you play a couple of games against teams that are... Not as good and not going to the main tournament. But, like, Cosworth Charleston has already played, like, Oklahoma State. And, like, is played one is playing Florida State, like, right now. It's, it's a very strange thing. Anyway, those are the eight teams in that tournament. And who do we have in the wooden legacy, Tom? Uh,
0: the wooden legacy we have... Who do we have in the wooden legacy? LaSalle against Miami of Florida. Northwestern against Fresno State. Seton Hall against Grand Canyon. And Hawaii against Utah.
1: Hmm. Okay, so, Tom, do you want uh, first or next two in our in our draft?
0: I'll do next two.
1: Okay, so I get the first pick. Um, whew, this is a tough one. You know, Atlantis has been very hit or miss. Uh, but I think I need to go with, as the first overall pick, I'm going with Virginia. The Virginia Cavaliers to win Atlantis. It's a tough field because... Um, they have to. I'm not really worried about Butler in the semifinal potentially. It's likely a matchup, but Florida or Wisconsin in the final would be a very tough game. Everyone wants to see uh, Virginia Wisconsin to see how how few points two teams can score in one ba- two really good teams can score in one basketball game. It could be somewhere around 80 total. So uh, don't watch that game that with the, yeah, line.
0: Don't watch that game with a food coma. You'll definitely fall asleep. <laughs> uh, yeah. So now I get two picks here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take. I'm going to take Florida State
1: mm, in the mm-hmm.
0: Orlando tournament.
1: I like that one. That's a good pick.
0: Yeah, because I don't think I – mean, obviously the top team in that tournament right now entering – it looked like it was going to be Villanova. Florida State already has a very impressive win against Florida early in the year. Um, and so that's, I'm taking them. That, LSU could be tricky in the semifinals, but the other – the top half of that draw, Oklahoma State is okay. Memphis, yeah. okay. So, yeah, I like. I think Florida State should be the favorite in that tournament. So I'll take them. And then I will go Wisconsin uh, in the Atlantis. I think they are very good defensively. They take care of the basketball. Greg Guard has really done a good job stepping in for Bo Ryan. We know Ethan Happ is playing um, amazing basketball in his senior year. We talked about he's second in the Ken Palm Player of the Year rankings. He's, a, he's stuffing all the categories. So give me uh, Wisconsin there. Um, I think they have a shot to uh, beat uh, Virginia, and otherwise I'll take my chance with second place. They're playing Stanford in the first round. Stanford's not very good this year. They got blown up by North Carolina last week. Um, And, uh, yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah, I think it's a tough one because I think unless they're actually not good at all, I got to pick Villanova here Um, because their half of that draw is not good. I mean, Canisius is a little bit dangerous um, they, they have, they, they're not terrible. And, you know, Memphis and Oklahoma State are interesting. Oklahoma State has, has got one of their best players back. who was out for a few games, but I think Villanova ha- has to be a heavy favorite because the final. Um, and when they get there, I mean, by the time they get there on Sunday, they'll, um, they'll put things together and they'll find some more time for Quinnerly Maybe, you know, they have Gillespie and Cremo in the backcourt. They still have, uh, Eric Pascal on the frontcourt, Malik Booth, you know, they still have a lot of players. And I, I think, J.R. put together, and even if he doesn't put together, they still should be able to win uh the first two games of this tournament, at least get me a second place finish. Now it it feels like I need to go to Wooden Legacy and pick the winner of this tournament. So you know, the bottom half is interesting because the Seton Hall looks like the best team in that half, but they also haven't been very good this year. They've already lost to St. Louis and to Nebraska. So maybe Utah's the best team in this in that half. Um, but Utah hasn't been very good this year either. They lost by nine to Minnesota and haven't played anyone else. They, play, they beat two terrible teams, Maine and Mississippi Valley State at home. And the other side has the better teams, it feels like, because you have Miami of Florida, who's undefeated, and Northwestern, who actually has been pretty good this year too, um, playing, uh, playing well against Binghamton and New Orleans, pretty poor teams, and, and kind of sneaking by American, who's mediocre but I'm going to go with um, Miami. That's what I'm going to go with. Uh, that's my favorite to win the tournament, I think, should be Miami. Um, they have a, they play a poor LaSalle team in the first game, and the northwestern Florida State game should be interesting, and the winner of that game is probably going to be the the second-best team in the tournament, maybe, or a third-best team. Uh, so it's a little bit of a tougher half of the draw, but I'm going to go with Miami to uh, sneak through and win the, the wooden legacy.
0: That was my pick, so I say it's a good pick. Yeah. Um who should i take now do i
1: i get, get two <clears throat> yeah these are your two last more two picks
0: up okay good yeah. uh i'm gonna take um uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's see butler is dangerous they've been playing they're three and oh as well
1: yeah they've probably been the most impressive biggies team so far okay. in terms of relative to their um expectations
0: because of course their best win is against mississippi um they beat detroit Datois, as you might call them, and uh, Mike Miami Davis, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Miami of Ohio. So, but they're pretty good favorites against Dayton. Dayton's not as um, dangerous as they were a couple of years ago. Now that Sean Miller's left, so let me get, give me Butler actually in that one. I think I'll just take the uh, pretty heavy favorite in the first round game. And
1: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. well, let me go... give you a, just a thought on uh, on yeah. Butler. First sure. of all, uh, Dayton is uh, is coached by former uh, VCU and Alabama coach Anthony Grant. They are three and uh with the best win they have is against Purdue Fort Wayne which tells you all you know about their schedule um but Butler is a good argument to be made that Kamar Kamar Baldwin is the the best player in the Big East right now and has the best season so far uh he's a junior replacing some of the the uh, possessions that uh Keelan Martin uh, left took with him when he left he's um got a 31% assist rate. He's got 36% possessions, and he's been pretty efficient doing so, scoring 23, 26, and 21 in his first three games while rebounding 8 and 8 and 4 and getting 5, 6, and 6 assists. He has had a lot of turnovers, though, 15 turnovers in his first three games. Just a note on Butler there. Who else you got?
0: Um, so my options now are do I go someone like LSU who could play my team, Florida State, in the neck in the semis of that tournament, try to guarantee myself a finalist, possibly, if both teams win their quarters, i could also do that with florida against wisconsin assuming they beat oklahoma or i could just try to pick one of these teams in the bottom half of the wooden legacy and hope that i picked the right finalist all these tournaments count the same in this pool even though the wooden legacy is the worst field um, i'm gonna go with Seton hall um, see what they can do i'll uh, take them out of that tournament so i'm gonna take one that i think has the path to a final and hopefully that works out
1: mm, this is a tough one i uh Oh, I kind of want to go more rounds here. I have a lot of teams. like LSU obviously is a pick. So LSU plays College of Charleston, then they play the winner of UAB Florida State. And uh, with Tremont Waters and Nas Long, they have a lot of talent and could definitely run through that field. Florida, I like Florida a lot, but they have a really – I mean, oh, they could live to Oklahoma in the first game, and then you're, you're SOL, yeah. as they say. Um, so I'm not going to go with Florida. The other My other thought is Northwestern. They have played well. Miami's not that great. If they can get by Miami, they can just win the tournament. But I think ultimately i got to go with LSU. Um, that's a team that has the upside to win the tournament. Um, it'd be nice if they were on the other side of the bracket because Villanova does seem like the weaker team of the, of the top seeds between Villanova and Florida State. Um, but I will take LSU. And just to review our picks, um, Tom and I both, um, in the column where we put, just put our name for the pick, we both put the team we took instead, so it's like ridiculously duplicative. So, like next to Villanova, I put Villanova instead of myself. And then Tom actually put his, uh, he put, um, I think he put, uh, what was it? He put Butler next to Butler. So we, we fixed that. So we, we have a, a tendency oh. to put the Biggies team name next week. So we'll see how oh, it works yeah. out next week.
0: Solid again, work by both of us.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, I have Villanova LSU in the Avocare Invitational. And I also have Virginia in Atlantis and Miami Florida at the Wooden Legacy. And Tom has Florida State at Advocare, uh, Wisconsin at – and Butler at Atlantis and has Seton Hall at the Wooden Legacy. So we'll cool. see how that goes. Do you All want right. to talk about some of these other smaller tournaments, like four-team tournaments, uh, before we uh, look at our – do some picks and close it out?
0: Uh, sure. Which ones which one do you see, want to Let's see. We about?
1: have uh, – we have, what, two major—I mean, there's one going on right now um, in, in St. Louis, but we're not going to talk about that one just because it's gonna, by the time you listen, it's going to be over. We have the NIT season tip-off. Um, that includes Tennessee, Louisville, and Kansas Marquette. And then we have the Los Angeles Invitational, which is um, North Carolina, Texas, and UCLA, Michigan State. Uh, what are your initial thoughts? I know you, you're a big Kansas guy, so what are you thinking about this draw?
0: I think it's okay. Marquette obviously lost to Wisconsin earlier this year. Kansas is going to be about a nine-point favorite against them. Kansas has looked not shaky, but not you know overwhelming. They were down ten to Louisiana on Friday. They were down in the first half. Um, They were down to Vermont for most of the first half at home. These are both games at home. Uh, After their, these are two games at home after beating. Michigan State and Indianapolis in the Champions Classic. So Kansas is, you know, finding their sea legs. I think they'll be fine. But they have not looked overwhelming by any stretch of the imagination uh, so far. But they're, you know, working in a lot of new faces with Diedrich Gloss in the transfer. Azubuki is right now fourth in the Ken Palm uh, Player of the Year rankings. If he stays on the floor, which he has not done so far, he is obviously amazing. Um, he's a great defensive presence that we talked about. So I think Kansas has a good shot to win these games in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. They're only, mm-hmm. Their only trip to New York this year. I will not be in town. That's a disappointing That's development. Yeah. Now, re- remind me, they used to have like a preseason on IT where teams would feed into this tournament in the Garden. Right now, they just kind of pick the four Yeah, it was teams.
1: a 16-team tournament. Um, yeah. And I think the year that they supposed to have Kentucky there, but Gardner-Webb beat Kentucky, and it didn't totally ruin the tournament, they decided to go a different direction and guarantee they got the four teams they wanted. Uh, speaking of a team they wanted, and speaking of the Ken Palm Player of the Year rankings, Tennessee's on the other side of that bracket playing Louisville. Yeah. Grant Williams is number one in the in the er, very early k Poy, as he calls it. He's been terrific. Um, they've played Lenore Ryan, again, the alma mater of Rick Barnes, which is uh, interesting. Twice now we've mentioned Lenore Ryan on this podcast. Uh, Louisiana, which I think used to be called Louisiana Lafayette, they beat yep. them by 22. And then they knocked off uh, Tom Borstein lookalike, Josh Passner in the Georgia Tech <laughs> Yellow Jackets by 13 in a game that wasn't that competitive. Um, Tennessee's defense is, is superb. Uh, They haven't actually played as well on offense yet. They were held under a point per possession against Georgia Tech. Admiral Schofield's been off the mark so far, only 38% on two-pointers this year. Um, And even Jordan Bone, who's one of their other key guys, has only shot 22% on twos. Uh, They just haven't been that efficient. Um, But I do think Louisville is a a far inferior team. Louisville started off pretty, pretty solidly. Uh, they did get a nice win at home against Vermont by 8, but um, you know their defense has not been particularly good. They gave up 78 points in 67 possessions against Vermont and almost one point per possession against Nichols State. Uh, but Jordan Moore is leading that offense. He's been uh, really, really good for them, uh, scoring 25, 22, 20, and 12 in his three games. Um, I'll take Tennessee, and part of me really wants to take Tennessee to beat Kansas, but I, I just think... I think Kansas is really good. These are like two of the best like five or six teams in America. Yeah. Kansas is really, really good at basketball. <laughs> as, as good as Duke has been, Kansas is, is excellent. They don't have any weaknesses. And uh, Quentin Grimes, Gerald Vick, Udoka Hazabuki, Dedrick, Dedrick Lawson, Devin Dotson, and then off the bench they have uh, Marcus Garrett and KJ Lawson's been really good too. And Charlie Moore hasn't even played yeah, I mean, that well. Charlie
0: yet. Moore, yeah. And I, I did dog Gerald Vick a little bit earlier <laughs> in the year, I should say. He's been very good so far. He made eight threes without a miss, which is hard to do against uh, Vermont on Monday last week. And he's played very well as a good slasher off the ball. So full credit to him. Uh, why don't we just why don't we just pick these games now? So you uh, just to recap the picks, though. We did a lot better, Brendan, last week compared to the first set. I have now even my record at 14 and 14, and I won 11 and 3 the last time. And you are now 11 and 17 after going 8 and 6. So yeah, so. Good job, writing the.
1: Uh, good job, us ship. not being yeah. so terrible, and Tom actually being good. He went three yeah. and eleven, and then eleven and three, which I uh, he, he
0: pretty symmetrical. Said, yeah. yeah. So um, the spreads in these games, just to clarify, Kansas is giving nine Ken Palm points to Marquette, and Tennessee is favored by eight KPP. We'll call that over Louisville. So you said you like Tennessee, which I do too. And yeah. then uh, I also I'm going to pick the dog against Kansas Marquette because until. Kansas covers the spread, and I will not be picking them. They're 0-3 against the spread this year, just so you know.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Marquette has been really dominant against their other three opponents, besides their 23-point loss. Their margin of victory or loss in games this year is 25, 33, 23 in a loss, and 20 in I guess 19 against Presbyterian. Um, I, I'm going to take Kansas to cover that nine-point spread. Um, I don't think. Um, Marquette has an answer inside for uh, Azabuki. You know Theo John. I thought might have been part of the answer, but he they were just terrible inside against Indiana. Um, the Hoosiers shot 74% on two pointers in their 23 point win. So I'll take Kansas and I'll take uh, Tennessee in those games. Um, now we're going to, to. Are we going to go back and do this Mississippi State game? If you want but to, let's skip that game. That game's tonight. Yeah. Let's not worry about that game. Let's, so it. let's do yeah. So let's do the Washington Texas A and M game though. So um, Washington is playing Texas A and M in Vancouver, you know, which is it makes more sense than when Texas A and M played, I think, like Minnesota in Vancouver.
0: Well, it's, they're uh, all there. They're playing basically three games in whatever days, and they're all. It's, I think it's three and three days, but they're just playing at some convention center in Vancouver because why not?
1: Yeah, because we all know that um, Vancouver, Vancouverans, Vancouverians love their college basketball. So. We have Washington, two-point favorite against A&M. That feels like a really small line. Is that that really the line? Washington's only favored by two? I know Washington hasn't been that good this year. This is KPP. Yeah, Washington's down to 50th in in the Ken Palm rankings. I I guess they only started the year 45th. Um, They haven't been particularly good, but I will take Washington over um, Texas A&M. A&M has been bad. Um, they've lost three straight. They lost to e. Irvine by one at home. They lost at Gonzaga by 23, and they lost to Minnesota by 5. Uh, any team that's that's quarterbacked by TJ Starks who has a 32.1% possessions but only 70.5 offensive rating because he's shooting 3 for 25 on three-pointers, that's 12%. I'm going to I'm going to bet against TJ Starks as much as I can this year, and that includes against um, Washington.
0: I will say these teams are both very balanced and very slightly above average. Texas a 77th in offense and 71st in defense. And Washington is basically four or five apart in the 50s uh, for them. So uh, I'm going to take Washington too. I think they'll uh, figure it out. Texas AM is one and three this year. Jesus. They lost to Irvine, Gonzaga, and Minnesota all in succession after beating Savannah State. So tough schedule for them, obviously. But uh, yeah, not a great start for Billy Kennedy at Texas A&M.
1: Okay, let's go to Vegas. Um... A place that you've been in the past. Yes. Uh, for this for this tournament. You saw the great game Malik Monk had for Kentucky again, This is Kentucky,
0: not that I'm tournament, guessing. but it's a good it's a good tournament. It's a different different tournament though.
1: Yeah, this one's on Fox. Yeah. You know, that that one you went to it definitely was not on Fox. No. It wasn't. Um so North Carolina's favorite by seven over Texas, Michigan State's favorite by five over UCLA. The winners and losers play on Friday after the first game's around Thursday night. It's good gr- it's good like post Thanksgiving. Who cares about the eight o'clock NFL game? Let's sit down and watch some big name Schools play some co- college basketball. What, who you got?
0: Yeah, can we talk about North Carolina a little bit under the radar this year? Um, they are third in Ken Palm. They are very good. They've played a tricky schedule, two true road games. Then they played Stanford at home, who is not very good, and then Tennessee Tech, who stinks. But they're going to play a little run here. They have Texas, then the Michigan State UCLA winner, then Michigan in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Then they play UNC Wilmington to help out their fellow state school. Then they're home to Gonzaga and a neutral story against Kentucky um, in the uh, Champions uh, Classic. Or not the Champions Classic. The CBS Sports, Sports 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 like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so they are, I don't know, I think Naz Little hasn't even played that much for them, and they're playing really well. They got Luke May, Cameron Johnson, Kobe White all dominating. Pretty much everyone who plays is averaging, you know, like 25 points per 40 minutes. Um, They are really good. They're not playing anyone too long. They're pretty deep. Um, so give me North Carolina. Like then this is the tournament I'm more excited about than the Maui Invitational. I think you have four good teams. They're pretty balanced. I think North Carolina is obviously the best team, and I think they'll beat Texas and cover. But you've got you know four pretty entertaining teams here. Good teams that are going to be tournament teams. All of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty high quality field in, in Vegas. So give me North Carolina uh, to win mm-hmm. to cover seven against Texas.
1: Yeah, Texas have been a little bit underwhelming this year. Um, they barely beat Arkansas in neutral. Uh, Dylan Ozikowski off to a kind of mediocre start. Um, Kerwin Roach has played okay. Elijah Matrulong has been eh. Matt Coleman hasn't been that great. I mean, their offense has just been not very good. Um, but I, I do want to talk about North Carolina briefly. I have a kind of a bone to pick. Um, so my favorite NBA draft um, kind of analyst <clears throat> is Sam Vicini, who used to be with the CBS podcast, and now he's on at The Athletic, and he has his own Game Theory podcast. Subscribe, rate it. You'll like it. And I really like listening to his NBA draft coverage. It helps me learn about college basketball players. But I do think that he was wrong about his assessment of Naz Little's, Nasir Little's um, minutes uh, played for North Carolina this year. He's, he's played 20, then 20, then 24, and then 19. And he's been excellent, especially offensively this year with a 137-0 rating. He's, made, he's been dominating in, inside. He's been blocking shots. He's been offensive rebounding like none other. Well, he's 67, so I guess not like none other. But <laughs> um, but his point was, like, what is Roy Williams thinking? What is he doing? Why isn't he playing him more? You know, he should be playing Nas little, Nasir a little more. Uh, and basically saying that... Wait, hold on. Is, is you, should he play him a little more, or should he be playing Nas little more? <laughs> yeah. A li- he should be playing Nas, Nasir little a lot more. <laughs> yeah, got <it>. Just checking. <laughs> and... Um, and he basically said that Roy Williams was like holding him back like intentionally, even though that he was like to go pro no matter what. And you know, I think that it's the frustration of folks like San Vicini who turn into a game wanting to watch these draft prospects and wanting to evaluate them. Um, and it's not so much out of an idea of like trying to build a team for a for a season. And the fact that he's only played in about fifty one percent of their team's minutes this year. It's part of it is trying to you know, not teach a guy a lesson, but maybe there's aspects of his game or his attitude or his mentality defensively that Roy Williams doesn't like. He has good enough players where it's not hurting his team, so why not try to help Nazi or Little be the best player you can be for, for North Carolina by March, rather than on a team that could win that title for sure. Uh, rather than worry about playing him 28 or 30 minutes in some random games in November. So I just disagree with kind of the NBA draftification of how people watch college basketball now, and it's one thing that actually would I would relish if the one done was gotten rid of, that players, and I like Nasir a little, but I think it brings attention to the sport, but I get tired of people who basically are primarily are only watching college basketball to evaluate or learn more about NBA draft prospects that then go on to question how they're utilized just because a coach has a different agenda than they do as an NBA draft uh, evaluator.
0: Yeah. I mean, North Carolina is really deep. Nassar Littles played 83 minutes this year in four games. That's not a lot, but it's still fifth on the team. It's not like he's playing all these other guys that much more than him. Kobe White's played 86 minutes, Johnson, 92, Kenny Williams, 93, and Luke May senior i believe is playing 106 minutes so these games are blowouts these games are you know at elon at wofford let's just calm down with like where, where how much nasir little is going to play he's going to play it's going to be fine roy williams doesn't call timeouts but he will put his best players on the court i think he knows what he's doing in that regard mm-hmm. so and he's just trying to balance everybody out he's had one how many people it's like 10 players play 22 minutes this year already so he's really and that's because of blocks he's not gonna why play him all this time in these games what's he gonna gain by playing 35 minutes against wofford i don't understand so I, i'm inclined to agree with you on that yeah.
1: anyway this is nothing against San Vicente. you should listen to this podcast And there's no chance to listen to my podcast an hour what 10 in that we are now yeah but no uh just a kind of a slight bone to pick so let's finish up these picks and let people get on with their lives uh, i'm taking north carolina also over texas i think north carolina is Uh, I keep saying everyone's the the third best, fourth best team in the country. It feels like a lot of them. You got Duke, you got Gonzaga, you got Kansas, North Carolina, Tennessee. Um, You know these are some of the best teams in the country, and North Carolina is right, right in there with them. I think. Uh, Michigan State against UCLA. Moses Brown has been terrific so far. The freshman, named after um, a very elite high school in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, Very elite. Very elite, very very unique. Also, it's both very elite and very unique. Um, no, I, I can't even say that with a straight face. Um, but they haven't played anyone this year so far. Uh, Purdue Fort Wayne's decent. They beat them by 25. St. Francis PA is, is decent. They beat them by 37. I'm actually going to take UCLA to cover. Um, they're going to be closer to home. You know, they're they're a five point underdog. I'm not sure what their re- the real spread will be. You know, I think they could win the game, and if they don't, I think it could be close. It feels like uh, I just feel like UCLA, with with the five points, is is the bet here.
0: I'm going to take Michigan State, but I am intrigued by this UCLA team. They have played nobody. I'm excited to see them play somebody. Uh, this is really their toughest game until they play Cincinnati and Ohio State back-to-back. It's uh, probably tougher than that game. Those games, too. They play them at the end of the month. Moses Brown, not really like a top-level freshman coming in. He was kind of like in the second or third tier, but he's a great rebounder. He's playing really well. He's a good defensive player. He his fifth in offensive rebound percentage right now, he is doing a very good job. So he's exciting to watch. We know we talked about Oregon and ball ball, but he's another freshman here uh, who we can watch. Michigan state's been tested a little bit more and they're a little bit more experienced. So that's why I'm going to take them in this game. Um, I think they'll lose to North Carolina in the championship, this tournament, but uh, very intriguing to watch uh, UCLA play this game. So I think these two, these will be two pretty good games and Mm -hmm. that's why this tournament is kind of, it's more balanced and I like that. And it's a good post, uh, post Turkey, uh, extravaganza, you might say.
1: Yeah, let's let's wrap our picks there. Um, some other good yeah. games, Houston, BYU. Um, we haven't really seen much from Houston yet this year. They haven't really paid anyone that good, but they're going to BYU later this week. That's on uh, Saturday, so... Uh, if you that's kind of a dead day usually in, um, in the weekend tournaments because the college football is Saturday. So they'll play them, the tournaments oftentimes Thursday, Friday, Sunday so is kind of what they do sometimes. I think the advocate and the wooden legacy are like that. So it might be the best game of the day on Saturday. Uh, if you want to see some two teams from mid majors that you don't necessarily get to see, uh, as much, um, Calvin Sampson, uh, in that game and see what he can do uh, out in Provo. Uh, any other thoughts you got, Tom? How, any uh, any uh, thoughts about how how you're gonna be uh, eating it up on Thanksgiving?
0: Uh, no, my big Thanksgiving meal will be Wednesday for reasons not worth getting into, but it'll be a good one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah, so I'm just a little annoyed I'll be out of New York when uh, Kansas is in New York, but such is life. And uh, yeah.
1: So you celebrate uh, a Rev Thanksgiving. That's how that works?
0: Yes, yes. Thanksgiving yeah. Eve, yeah.
1: Yeah, see, that's... uh, See, multicultural here, you know? Yeah. I know that we're, like, in New York is a huge East Coast bias on this. Uh, we spent uh, half the podcast talking about the Big Ten and the Big East and the other half talking about, I don't know, other stuff. But, um, we, you know, hopefully we you enjoyed it. mentioned
0: at least five or six Pac-12 teams, including Washington State, so
1: we're okay. Yeah, we did mention Washington State and Oregon, uh, yeah, we should do one of those uh, bingo boards with every team when we mention them. You know, we got a Florida International reference, talk about Savannah State, Ch- College of Charleston, Citadel. Uh, the city, yeah, uh, even uh, Iona. I'm, I'm going to see yeah. Iona play Providence at the dunk on Saturday. If you happen to be in Providence, and come by, say hi, rate, subscribe, review, double bonus pod at gmail.com, at the bonus official, pod.
0: First yeah. official meetup we got going, Brendan.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, if you want to meet up and watch uh, <laughs> David Duke. <laughs> slam down some uh some nasty funky dunks against the gales you can watch it and also you can let me know you're there so, yeah anyway. okay right. um on that note tom uh, enjoy your travels around thanksgiving i hope that you have uh, a splendid time and your various uh you know vistas and until that next time um i wish you well you too
0: happy thanksgiving brother.
1: happy thanksgiving tom